The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. And I invite you to join me in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We will conclude our study of 2 Thessalonians this morning. And uh, as we come to the end of this, just what we've done, the kind of the format that we've used is we've given the we've given the whole thing a title: "Real Answers to Real Questions." I think a lot of people go to church and they think, "Oh, the pastor's answering a question that no one's asking." But so what we've tried to do is ask and answer real everyday questions that that come into our minds and into our hearts that affect. Our, our lives with each other, our, our interpersonal relationships, and of course our relationship with the Lord. And so the question this morning is, what is the surprising sin that wrecks so many lives? Now there's some elements to this question. For, insta- for instance, first of all, there shouldn't be any surprise to the fact that sin wrecks our lives, right? Every sin is by its nature, destructive. And so this we understand at the onset. But uh, when we think about uh, the sins that we could enumerate that uh, destroy our lives and the lives of our loved ones and our friends and neighbors and people that we work with, we could kind of go through our mind and start to think, what are those sins that are really destructive that surprise people? Someone might say, well, addictions. And certainly, an addiction has a destructive quality about it that seems unlike any other, particularly if it's drugs or alcohol. And uh, what goes with that just begins to destroy relationships and often your health. And, uh, and, and, and yet we know this. This is no surprise. And even uh, non-Christian entities are a part of trying to help people overcome their addictions. And I would say to you this morning, if you're here and you or someone that you love or know is caught in addiction, let us help you with that. We see victories in Christ Jesus all the time of people who are set free from the chains of sin that would so easily beset us. So, someone else might say, well, you know, I think the, the, the sin that's so surprising that, that wrecks and destroys lives is the sin of adultery. And in some ways, I think I would agree with that. It, it seems that in modern America, uh, marriage has just become a slightly more complicated version of going steady. And so people go from one partner to the next partner to the next partner, and they often start with the next partner before they've divorced the last partner. And we, we tell ourselves, we rationalize that it, it doesn't really hurt anybody, uh, and the kids are okay, I'm still a great parent, even though I'm not the husband of their mom or the, or the wife of their dad. And, and we now know that all of that is foolishness. Uh, a social scientists, even those who are not Christians, have uh, studied the lives of children and how they're impacted by divorce. 
And it brings incredible destruction. And especially when you have the multiple relationships, when you have a marriage and a divorce and a marriage and a divorce and a marriage and a divorce, and you have the kids from one and then kids from the second, and maybe they end up with not even a biological parent. And it has a, it has a destructive nature on all of our society. And yet uh, adultery has been going on so long, we really shouldn't be surprised at that, should we? Someone else might say, you know what I see in America today is greed. Boy, I I would agree with that. It seems like there's more greed in America today than, than ever, ever before. Billionaires want more, more billions. Millionaires want more millions. And if, if you fall in this last category, like I, I do, thousandaires want more thousands. Uh, did you know that the uh, 80% of Americans spend 120% of what they make every year? Let me say that again. I want you to hear it. 80% of Americans spend 120% of their annual income every year. This is easy math. That means in five years, you owe an entire annual income on your credit card or for the new car that you bought or whatever you went into debt for. Americans, uh, in, in, in terms of the, all of uh, the international culture, we have the most debt and the least amount of savings. That describes greed, isn't it? If your retirement plan is winning the lottery, you might want to rethink that. And so we struggle with money, but greed's not, a, greed's not a new problem. That doesn't surprise us either. What about lust? Wow, you talk about a sin that has obsessed with our culture is just dominated by sex and sexuality and sexual sin and sexual abuse and sex trafficking. We could go on and on and on. Uh, this week, just this week's headlines, Robert Kraft, owner of the New England Patriots, charged with solicitation during the Super Bowl time that he was there. So that's this, uh, 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 a guy, I think his name's Jay Kelly. He's, uh, he's a rapper. Ten counts of sexual abuse, including with children. That's this week. Next week, there'll be some more headlines. The whole, the whole free love of the 1960s and 1970s and, and the whole idea that Hugh Hefner taught us with Playboy is that, well, this is all fun and we'll all be okay, is now come to roost. America is reaping that sin in, in terrible ways. You and I, when I grew up in school, I learned that slavery came to an end with the Civil War. Imagine how astounded we were to find out that slavery still exists in the world today and its primary form is in sex trafficking. And yet, that really doesn't surprise us either. Someone might say, well, the the sin is pride. Well, you've got a point there because pride is really at the root of all the other sins, isn't it? The reason you have an addiction is you say, well, I can handle my beer. I, 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 won't, I won't be an alcoholic. That's how you ended up being an alcoholic. You can say, oh, I, I can handle my money. Oh, I, I can do what I want. Pride is at the root of all of those sins. But even people who don't know the Bible know the verse, pride goes before a fall. Everybody knows that. So that's no surprise either. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 offers what I think is a surprise to us. It's, it's not that the sin will be a surprise to you. 
The surprise is how devastating it is, how destructive it is. And it's the sin of autokteo. You say, come again? Run that by me one more time. Uh, Those of you here on an every week basis, you're here all the time, you know that I don't do this very often. Uh, I kind of resist this, but this morning I'm kind of stuck. I'm going to stick with the original Greek word that was uh, used by the Apostle Paul when he first penned this letter to to the Thessalonians. And his word is autokteo. So since I'm going to use it, let me define it for you. Let I want to get you a part of this. What is the sin of autokteo? Well, in just a few moments when we read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the English Standard Version is going to translate the word into the English word idleness. But autokteo is way bigger. The reason, the reason I don't want to just stick with this is it's way bigger than that. Autokteo means idle. It certainly means that. But it means lazy. It means unwilling to work. It, 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 understand this. It's not talking about people who are disabled or who can't work. It's talking about perfectly healthy bodies that are unwilling to work. People who have no purpose. Playing video games doesn't count. People who have no financial understanding. I mean, they understand it in this sense. They don't want to work for it, and they want you to give it to them. They want you to pay their way in life. They, they have a sense of entitlement. They want it, but they, they don't value it. They don't get it. And this word, autokteo, it symbolizes the chaos that results from a life of these choices. Uh, there's an ancient Jewish historian. His name was Philo. He lived in Alexandria, Egypt. Uh, he, he wrote a, a lot of uh, stuff about the Hebrew and the Old Testament for the Greeks, and when he was uh, translating Genesis 1-1, before, before God created the world, it says uh, that the, the earth was without form and void. And he translated that, 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 that circumstance without form and void as atakteo. He called it the chaos before creation, the chaos before God brought order. Josephus is another Jewish historian. He uses the word autokteo to describe two armies that come to battle. The opposing army breaks through the front lines of of our army, and we realize, oh, it's over. Our our goose is cooked. And autokteo is used to describe a retreat in which every man for himself and it's total chaos. So the word, can you see how the word is bigger than just saying lazy? or idle. It's a word that encompasses the whole experience of one who refuses their purpose in life, and it creates a chaos of sorts. Now you're ready to read 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want you to begin with me in verse 6. The Apostle Paul says, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in autokteo. Here it's translated idleness. Keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not autokteo. We were not lazy. We were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil 
and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Now, now it's not because we don't have the right. Now, the Apostle Paul was the, the guy who started the church, and then he became the first pastor. And so certainly the church should have supported their pastor. This is the right that he's talking about. But he says, even though I would have had that right, we chose instead to give to you ourselves as an example to imitate. Verse 10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in autocteo. They, they walk in idleness. They walk without purpose. They walk in laziness. They are unwilling to work. He goes on and says they're not busy. He's going to, here's a play on words. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone doesn't obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Don't regard him as the enemy, but warn him as a brother. Wow, this is as practical as Bible gets right here. This is not a deep theological doctrine that you're going to have to try to figure out. This is bottom shelf easy to understand, and yet every single one of us, we have either at some point in our time been the the lazy, idle, non-productive one, or we've been sucked into that world to try to help that person, whether we tried to help them financially or help them get a job or help them pay their bills. we've We've collided with this before. And so what we discover is that the Bible answers all the questions to life. Every possible question to life that you have, it speaks to. And here it speaks to a sin that, quite honestly, doesn't make my list of preaching very often. I, I'm trying to remember. I, I can't remember preaching a sermon about laziness or what we're kind of going to call this morning autocteo. And yet here it is. And it is clearly destructive in our lives. I think there are people in church life who, uh, who are not guilty of greediness. They're not guilty of adultery. They're not guilty of lust. And yet your life is destroyed simply because you are guilty of laziness. It's kind of the American way. The American way is to get a job that has more vacation time and try to spend more of that vacation time in exotic, warm places. And to retire as early as you can so that you can do nothing. But the idea that we would retire so that we can be idle may be the American dream, but it is not God's dream for you. God has a dream for you. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. And some of you might be shocked to discover it doesn't really include retirement. Maybe retired from your vocation but never from the work of the kingdom of God. He made us to serve. He made us to work. Work is not the dirtiest four-letter word. It's a part of how we find purpose and meaning in life. What are the results of autocteo? If you, if you know this person or you've been this person, 
these things will all resonate with you. First of all, the, the sin of, of all this together, the chaos of these, of these choices in your life, this sin results in everyone else being sucked into the chaos of your life. You see, if, if you won't work, if you don't pay your bills, if you can't buy your groceries, if you can't put gas in your car, then somebody else has to. Now, maybe they feel obligated because you married into the family. Maybe they feel obligated because they're your parents. Maybe you feel obligated because they're your parents. Maybe you feel obligated because this guy, you just think, he just needs a leg up. He's going to get there if I help him. And so so many of us have been pulled into the chaos of a life that doesn't really want anything except for everybody else to help us. It's a sense of entitlement. I, I learned early on that there was no entitlement for Joneses. When I was going to school, all these other kids were starting to brag about their connections and their ethnicity. And, and they would say, I, I'm related to royalty in Denmark. And I'm, I'm related to royalty in Scotland. And so I went home and I said to my dad, who are Joneses related to? And he said, well, son, he said, everybody whose last name is Jones changed their name to Jones because they were running from the law. He said, you're, you're related to people in prison. I said, thanks. So, so for those of us who kind of at times act like we're royalty and everybody else should serve us, the reality is at the foot of the cross, we all stand on level ground. Better said, we all kneel on level ground at the only royalty, which is our King Jesus And so here we discover this is what laziness does. It just pulls us all in. Secondly, and you'll recognize this as well, instead of working hard, autokteo, the sin of autokteo, runs off at the mouth. Uh, Here's the way Paul says it in verse 11. He says, We hear that some among you walk in autokteo, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Isn't it an incredible thing that a guy who doesn't work has the ability to tell you how you should do your work? Have you ever been doing something that actually you've done a lot of times before and you're pretty good at it and somebody who's never done it comes up to tell you how you should do it? Don't you just want to... Nobody really loves the person who's the Monday morning quarterback. Nobody really loves the person who is telling you what to do when you know they've never done anything for themselves. It's a funny thing about this person. Since they're not working, they have an idea about how everybody else should work. And and by the way, they will also tell you, because they tend to run off at the mouth, the reason they're not working is because they haven't found a position suitable for them yet. They're not going to start at minimum wage level. They should start at vice president in charge of nothingness. And so these two things go together. But here's the worst result of autokteo. Ultimately, this sin takes everyone's attention off of the kingdom of God. This is the biggest problem. The biggest problem with the, the laziness and idleness is that somebody's got to pay your way. Somebody's got to help you out. Somebody's got to take care of you. And so that person, instead of giving themselves to missions, evangelism, discipleship, reaching the world, they got to stop and help you. Watchman Nee, a great theologian from China, 
two generations ago, said the reason that the church cannot reach the world for Christ is we have to spend all of our energy re-winning the next generation that we have. His point was this, that our sons and daughters should, by watching our lives, by knowing our convictions, they should just come to Christ almost naturally. But because we don't live lives of holiness and godliness, they look at the emptiness of that, they walk away from Christ, and the church spends all of its energy trying to win back the next generation. It turned out that he's a prophet. Because even though the church has more people in it than it's ever had before, we fall further and further and further behind the world population as it grows. So that we in the church are actually a smaller and smaller percentage of the population of the world. Maybe a part of that's because of autokteo. Maybe a part of that's because of the laziness that our kids see in us. Well, you know what I love about the Bible? The Bible just doesn't identify sin and then, and then say, well, okay, there I've identified it. You take care of it. But in this passage, the Apostle Paul also tells believers what we should do with these that are entrapped by, these that are, that are, that are engulfed by the chaos, the chaos of their lives. So here we are. How are believers instructed to deal with with someone like this in their lives, here's what we discover. Five things. Number one in verse seven and eight, we are to set an example of hard work. The scripture says, the apostle Paul said, when you yourselves know that when we were with you, that we were not idle, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with, here's the words, toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And even though we had the right, we did this to give ourselves as an example to imitate. Step number one, you and I need to acknowledge that part of the purpose of God in our lives is to work. God set Adam in the Garden of Eden And he said, your job is to take care of the garden. Before there was ever sin, Adam was working for the Lord. Part of your purpose is to work. People who are really depressed, do you, do you know what they're prescribing for people who are clinically depressed now? They pay their therapist, whatever they're paying them, 150 200 an hour, to go to the rescue mission to serve other people. And they discover that when they quit thinking about themselves and they serve others, they are not as depressed Wow, shocker. Anybody who's read the Bible would know that we're called to serve one another. And we are called to work. The Apostle Paul could have been the full-time paid pastor, but instead he worked. Here's his words. Toil, labor, night, and day. Because this is what God is pleased with. Now, don't get me wrong. And, and listen to this very carefully. You don't go to hell anymore because you're lazy then you go to heaven because you work hard. Do you understand that? This is instruction on how Christians should live. But salvation comes by the grace that God gives through the shed blood of his son, Jesus. There are going to be millions of people in hell who were workaholics. They worked hard, but for all the wrong reasons. So our hard work isn't of itself sanctifying. It's that we're obedient to the Lord, and the concept is that we work that we might serve the kingdom. 
There's a second instruction here for us who, uh, who are to live lives in such a way to, to bring those around us out of autokteo, and that is we are to handle money with integrity. See it right there in verse 8. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. Now, I, this morning, I don't have time uh, to preach a whole sermon on uh, money. Let me just say a couple things very quickly. Number one, it's not your money. It's God's. God owns it all. What you have is given to you by God as a sacred stewardship. You are to manage the money that he has given to you, and he tells you how to manage it. First of all, you're to give the first fruits of it back to the Lord in an in a act that acknowledges that it all belongs to God, and that's the tithe. That's 10%. The second thing you should do is take the next 10%, and you should save it. And uh, these are biblical principles, and if you struggle with money, uh, David Ramsey's on the radio every afternoon here in Billings, and he has helped uh, thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands now. He'll help you. We'll help you. There are biblical principles so that you don't have to be a part of the 80% of Americans who are terribly in debt, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. You can have victory over this in your life. There are biblical principles for this. But let me just say this in terms of our relationship. We should handle money with integrity. It really means handling our relationships with integrity. You borrow somebody's truck, you shouldn't bring it back on empty. You should bring it back with a full tank of gas. You, you use something, you should always, things should always be better the way you left it than how you found it. It's a part of the integrity of our life. You say, well, I don't really have enough money. Trust God with your money. Do what's right. Trust God with your money, and he will give you incredible blessing. Thirdly, we find here in verse 12, flat-out instruction. Instruction to those that are caught in the sin of autokteo. We are to instruct them to work hard and not run their mouth. Verse 12, now such persons we command and we encourage in the Lord to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. God never intended for you, and I'm talking about people that are completely healthy and capable of work. He never intended for you to live off of somebody else. He intended for you to earn your own living. And notice that the phrase is, and to do it quietly. You know what that means? Without running your mouth. Now, I've had all kinds of jobs in my life. Uh, one of my first paying jobs was I pumped gas. Remember when that was a job? I pumped gas. You know what I discovered about every job? And maybe as I worked up or I got a better job or I made more money, if I kept my mouth shut and my ears open, there was always something to learn. And it moved me up in life. And so this is a part of that as well. The next thing that we discover here is something that's shocking. I think this is how we know how destructive this sin can be. The Apostle Paul says, if these people in our lives who are trying to pull us into the chaos of their sin, if they don't receive instruction, quit hanging out with them. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul doesn't say it once. He says it twice. He says it in the introduction. Find verse 6. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in autokteo. Look at verse 14. Here's the conclusion. 
If anyone doesn't obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them. Now, now the Bible says this in a couple other places about other sins, but we find it, I find it, a little surprising that with the sin of laziness, I'm to keep away from that. Why? Because God's got more important things for you to do. There are kingdom things. There are eternal things. There are divine things worthy of the investment of your life, not just throwing your money to help somebody who's going to suck all the money they can from you, and when they're done with you, they'll go to the next person. That's what he's saying here. And so we're not to treat them as the enemy, but we are to try to help them see their sin. The last thing, verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, And as for you, brothers... Don't grow weary in doing good. There's a couple of ways that we can grow weary. One of them is if you're just first starting out here and somebody comes to you and you got a minimum wage job and someone says to you, hey, hey, you don't need to do that. I make more on welfare and more on unemployment and more from my Uncle Ernie. You should quit your job and do like me. Don't fall for that. Don't be weary in doing the right thing. But secondly, to those of us who work and you've got that person in your life who's kind of the busybody and they're always talking, don't let that wear you down either. Because we know from another scripture that if we don't grow weary in doing good and we do the right thing, that we will reap a harvest if we don't faint. Galatians chapter 5 and 6. And so, and so what do we discover there? If you'll do the right thing with your time, if you'll have purpose in your work, if you'll serve one another, if you'll handle your money with integrity, God will rush into your life with a blessing that Malachi chapter 2 says will be too big for you to receive. So don't grow weary in well-doing. Now here's what I want you to see this morning. Our lives together as brothers and sisters in Christ in the, in the faith family called Emmanuel, our lives should be characterized by those who work hard care about each other, and serve one another. If, if I serve you and you serve me, if in our church we don't have to, whenever there's a call for volunteers, we don't all just wait and go, oh, I hope somebody will take that job. I don't want to do that. If, if church life becomes full of idleness, full of hesitancy, if we cease to participate, if we don't join in the work of the word of the Lord, then pretty soon those churches die because you have more and more people taking and less and less people giving. But if you give and I give, and you work and I work, the Holy Spirit blesses that church, and he comes in 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 powerful ways so that we can be a part of mission and evangelism and discipleship and change the world by the same token, a very personal application. If you got somebody in your life, and this is them, and you've been trying to help them a long time, I, I don't know your circumstances, but you should pray about the possibility that God's calling you away from that so that you can devote yourself to something that will have eternal result. I want to ask for every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. You know, this is, uh, wow, this is about as plain as a sermon gets, isn't it? I mean, this wasn't, there wasn't anything here that was deep theologically. This is just everyday life. And, and every one of us in our life, we know of a situation that now, now we know the word is autokteo. We know what that is, the chaos of that. And I wonder this morning, has God spoken to you? Maybe it's about your own laziness. Maybe it's about someone else that you, you've been trying to help, and now you realize they, 
they've really got to go forward themselves. But if God's spoken to you by his word, and, and maybe it's been in a completely different way than I enumerated, but if he's spoken to you this morning, we just lift your hand up and say, Paul, pray for me. God spoke to me today. Yes, 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 yes. All over the room, many of us. Here's my last word to you. I, I just want to reiterate something I've already said. Working hard doesn't get you to heaven. It's Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Live your life for Jesus. Receive his free gift of salvation. And then join him in his work, not in order to be saved, but because he's given you the greatest blessing you could ever have, your salvation. Father, you've seen our hands, you know our hearts, you know everything about us. So this morning we come to you and we thank you that your word is incredible. It answers every single question in life. Even even about those that are lazy and idle and how we relate to them. So, Father, first of all, help us not to be lazy. Help us not to live without purpose. There's a purpose greater than the games on our phone and video games on our computers. Let us live with eternal things in mind. Change us, remake us, and remold us that we might be fashioned after the image of your Son. And if you'll do this in our lives, we'll give you the glory and the honor and the praise. For we pray it all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.